0: I heard an interesting fact about Andy Reid, who is the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs football team. Football is one of the things that happens in the world of sports, if you don't (laughs) follow that. They recently won the Super Bowl, which is a big sports game. Um, Andy Reid is not just a highly successful football coach um, who's at the top of his game. He's also shown willingness to pass on his coaching wisdom to other coaches within the National Football League um, around the country, including Chicago Bears head coach Matt Nagy. Um, He's made himself available to them. He'll answer their calls, um, call them back even late at night. And he's actually willing to pass on his coaching um, sort of secrets to other coaches, not during the games, of course, but um, in between the games. Now, in our text this morning, we witnessed Jesus making himself available to anyone who wants to learn his secrets. Look with me in Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2. Seeing the crowds, uh, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. Now, Jesus, we've seen in all of Epiphany, is a master at shining heavenly light on earthly places. He brings a light that is not of this world, and he shines it in a way that blesses the world, seeking the Father's will on earth as it is in heaven. Um, We've seen this throughout the season of Epiphany, the all-night healing service that Deacon Susan preached on last week, the the wedding where he provides 150 gallons of unexpected wine, the miraculous catch where he fills the fishermen's boats um, with with fish, uh, even during the day, and then he calls them to be fishers of men. Um, Jesus goes about his ministry, creating beauty and making disciples and shining light. And he's willing to teach us his secrets. He's willing to call us up to the mountain and say, here's how I do it. And actually you are a light as well. And you can shine with the same light by grace through the Holy Spirit. He's willing to teach us specifically how to be public about our faith without being obnoxious. He's willing to teach us how to stand up for the marginalized and resource our culture with beauty and grace and a non-anxious presence. He's willing to teach us how to repent of sin, forgive the sins of others, and be an agent of healing in our city. Uh, The more time we spend learning from Jesus up on the mountain, the more we share and shine with his epiphany light. Um, So let's learn from the master together about what it takes to shine with heavenly light in earthly places. The first thing that Jesus is going to teach us is He's going to teach us how to recognize who is truly well off. Jesus is going to teach us through the Sermon on the Mount who is truly well off. Um, look with me in verses 3 through 5. This is how Jesus sees the world. It's a series of observations that we do well to heed. Verse 3. Blessed, or you could translate this well off, or um, congratulations to. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now Jesus is congratulating people that we would normally take pity on. People that we wouldn't want to emulate or have their life. He congratulates the poor in spirit. Who rank low, who maybe have shaky confidence and just don't have a lot to their name. He congratulates those who mourn, people who are sad, um, people uh, who have experienced loss uh, and are hurting. Jesus congratulates the meek, which could include those who are shy or picked last or aren't quick on their feet, aren't good at asking for what they want, or maybe just simply those with quiet strength, as Jesus had during his trial. Now, there's kind of an upside-down kingdom. Jesus can see it, and he's teaching us to see it too. This is just not the conventional wisdom about who is truly well-off. Conventional wisdom says this, Blessed are the people picked first, because they are healthy. Blessed are the powerful. Blessed are those who are savvy enough to get what they want. Blessed are those with more followers. Blessed are the talented. Blessed are those who have an amazing... Career and an amazing body and an amazing love life and an amazing Instagram game. Um, Conventional wisdom celebrates blessings on the surface. Money, career, health, smooth circumstances, which are all good things. Those are all good things. Yet one of the secrets of Jesus is that he's perceptive enough to see and celebrate the blessings under the surface which are deeper and stronger than the blessings above the surface. Unseen blessings, but very real, like being included in the kingdom of God, uh, being deeply comforted by God, or inheriting gifts from God instead of grasping for them, as only the meek can. Several years ago, some leaders of our church did a community survey in Uptown, and they went around with clipboards asking people about their spiritual interests and their spiritual needs the people who are blessed on the surface, who had earbuds in their ears and had important meetings to attend, for the most part did not stop and take the survey. It was the people without any kind of buffering, people who didn't have the surface level blessings for the most part, that were willing to stop and talk about questions of the soul and interests that they had. Um, They were open and interested in the kingdom of God and they uh, basically they were able to articulate, hey, what we would love in this neighborhood is a Bible survey class that the church would teach and make available to everyone in the community. And so that's what the leaders put together. Susan and others taught this course of a, it's a six-week Bible survey. One of the families who attended the Bible study had been staying at a local shelter. They were temporarily houseless, and one of the spouses was disabled in a wheelchair. Conventional wisdom would have looked at this family and maybe ignored them, of, ah, they're having a hard time, um, and so they're going to, you know, get their act together, and we're meanwhile going to move on to the truly blessed connections. They couldn't be possibly well off, yet I can still remember speaking with this family at Emmanuel after our services. They were one of the most joyful families I've ever met. I can still remember the light of the countenance on their face. There was joyful parents, joyful kids, um, and just full of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us recognize, along with Jesus, um, who is truly well off. Because we are tempted by our own egos, and we are trained by the systems around us to make people invisible who are not well off on the surface. Um, And we need the grace of the Holy Spirit to remove those blinders, and Jesus is the teacher who can help us here. So we can even ask Jesus, one of the ways to to begin to shine with Epiphany light here is to ask Jesus to show you the deep blessing in an area of your surface pain. You have some unmet longing, some unmet pain on the surface. Are you poor in spirit, poor in health, poor in bank account, poor in friendships? Where is the where are the pain points in your own life? This is where you say, Jesus, help me see the gold in my own life, underneath the surface the hidden yet very real kingdom, treasure that is buried very deep. Is there a person in your life who is not well off? Maybe a widow or someone in the hospital or long-term care, a fellow student who's sort of lagging behind and sort of struggling. Ask Jesus for an epiphany to shine his light on the grace in their situation so that you can see, actually, they are well off deep under the surface. Seek them out. Bear witness to the presence of the Spirit in their suffering. This is where Jesus shined his epiphany light. He went to broken places, he went to people who were hurting uh, tired fishermen, embarrassed wedding hosts, a demon possessed man in the synagogue, people on their deathbed. In fact, Jesus even searched out a man who had a legion of demons who was living in a graveyard. And he went to the graveyard, and that's where he shined his epiphany light. That's where epiphany light still shines. It shines where the surface level blessings are starting to break down, where people are ready for that deep level blessing, to see the kingdom of God, uh, even in their pain. So we ask for the Holy Spirit's help to see who is truly well off around us. We need to resist the patterns of our own life and our own culture in order to do so. Let's take up Jesus's invitation to see as he sees. Secondly. Um, we can let Jesus invite us to want what God wants. Not just to see how Jesus sees, but to want what he wants. Um, And Jesus here um, is going to encourage us to not hold back from hungering and thirsting after the kingdom of God. Um, I recently participated in a multi-day leadership development uh, trip with other Anglican pastors. The facilitators did not tell us in advance what they had planned. And so we just sort of had to experience it one day at a time, which for the most part was a good experience. Um, One day, one evening, they sat us down and they said, tomorrow is a day of silence and solitude. Great. Um, And you all are going to be fasting. And I said, can we still at least brew some coffee in the morning? And they said, well, sure, even though no one received coffee, as far as I can tell. So, uh, I packed some Gatorade in my backpack and we went on a a bit of a hike, uh, to be alone and to have time with the Lord. And I got hot and I got annoyed and I got a headache and, you know, I didn't have calories and I didn't have caffeine. And so, but I had a Gatorade and I tell you that over the next few hours, I developed what we used to call in the eighties, a deep down body thirst. Um, and, uh. I drank the Gatorade like I've never drank Gatorade before, (laughs) which was just gratitude and visceral, visceral desire. I guzzled it without any shame. Um, Now, can you imagine, can you imagine wanting righteousness as much as I wanted that Gatorade? Can you imagine wanting mercy, to receive mercy and to extend mercy, with like that visceral sense of hunger and thirst? Can you imagine wanting to see God? Can you imagine wanting to see the beautiful face of God with your whole body and your whole soul? What if we all longed for a clean conscience, uh, to have clean hands and a pure heart, like we long for a hot shower or a hot meal? What if we all longed for injustice to end and for suffering to be relieved, as much as Jesus longs for it. And that's how Jesus describes it, wanting what God wants. Look with me in verses six and following. Blessed are, are all those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. You know, I find myself tempted to hold back from this level of desire for what God wants. Um, Maybe on one level, I desire peace and mercy and purity of heart and righteousness and right relationship with God and man. But at some point, the road gets too costly and I don't want it as much. Um, Yet each gospel story shows us that Jesus wanted these things enough to pay the cost. To pay the cost for mercy, to pay the cost for grace, for pay the to pay the cost for peace, Um, uh, he withstood the devil's temptation, and did not corrupt himself to gain power. That's how much Jesus wanted purity of heart. Um, Jesus uh, confronted temple corruption, taking heat in the process, loving his enemies in the process. He even healed the ear of a soldier who was arresting him. That's how much Jesus wanted to be a peacemaker. He wanted the peace and the righteousness of God to the cost of his own life. He wanted our salvation to the cost of his own flesh and blood. I think this made Jesus's light so distinct. It was this level of desire, the distinct hunger, the distinct thirst to want what the Father wanted. And through the Holy Spirit, he can give us that same appetite We are, as I mentioned, gearing up for the season of Lent. It begins 10 days from now on Ash Wednesday, February 26th. Lent is a season of the church calendar where we develop hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's a season that teaches us to want what God wants, and it just takes time and training to want what God wants. So if you want to walk this journey uh, with us and prepare for Lent, you can begin in the next 10 days with a simple prayer, Lord, show me a desire that you have that you want me to have. Show me a desire that you currently have that you want to plant in me. Um, A deep hunger, a rich hunger, something that may not be satisfied until the next life. But give me that hunger for heaven and heaven's ways. And then during Lent, you can ask Jesus to train you for that desire using the classic disciplines of Lent, fasting, fasting and praying, and giving your money away. Every year, Jesus has training for me, and for our church, and we come through Lent with a stronger desire for the Holy Spirit, and a stronger desire for heaven, and a stronger desire, a a developed appetite uh, for the kingdom of God, and a developed palate for peacemaking. Can you imagine wanting the kingdom of God so much that you would actually rejoice in suffering as you go about seeking it? You wouldn't actually dread the suffering. You would even find yourself free enough to welcome suffering when it does come. And to find yourself being the kind of person who can rejoice. It is possible, according to Jesus. He says in verse 10 and following, Blessed are those, you can even look with their, uh, look there with me. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I get email updates from a friend of mine. Um, His name is Monty Brewer, and he trains pastors and church planters from the persecuted church. Um, He's known literally around the world, in almost every continent on the world, except for the cold ones. Uh, he's known among the persecuted church pastors as Uncle Mani. Um, and the reason that he's known as Uncle Mani is that they know him as their uncle who is helping them fulfill their call where the church is under pressure the most. He recently did a training and teaching in the book of Genesis for pastors in Eritrea, Eritrea where it is illegal to practice Christianity. He was just over the border of Eritrea. And the pastors had to come, they had to sneak across the border to get to the training. And he tells the story of one of the students. um, Mekanen took great risks to join our event. For two weeks prior to the training event, he kept watch at several checkpoints to see if there was any break at which he could sneak across an Eritrean border crossing without having to show his documents. He made it safely across to join us for one week. It was his first time to be outside Eritrea. He was filled with such joy. I asked him what would happen to him when he goes back to Eritrea. He said, I'll go back to prison. Um, He wants you all to know that when anyone says, I am in prison, that's a euphemism for being tortured by guards every day. He has already been in prison five times. He told me he took great risks to come because he wanted to meet Uncle Mani. He stayed for 10 days and then he returned to Eritrea. Why? Because uh, Mekkonen coordinates all house churches that make up the underground church of Asmara, which is Eritrea's capital. He's responsible for thousands of men and women in dozens of house churches in a city of 900,000. Mekkonen says he tracks anyone put in prison In his area of oversight, and right now, there are 670 believers uh, in prison for their faith. And they look to Meccanin to be their spiritual father. Now, Meccanin is going to be mistreated, jailed, and tortured. Maybe even this morning, he's back in prison, uh, enduring his suffering. Yet, as Uncle Mani saw, he is able to shine with the epiphany light of Christ. He's not held back from that. and we get the sense that Mekanon is one of the truly well-off ones. Um, that's the distinctive epiphany light of Christ that shines through his bride and shines through his people, through the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus wants us to know how this works. He's willing to pass on his secrets. It's not, they're not easy secrets, but they are good and they are accurate. So he teaches us to see who is truly well-off, to want what God wants even at a cost, and then finally to just not hide our distinctiveness, to not hide our distinctiveness at all. Um, The Christ light is not only distinct, it is also public and shines for public benefit. The Christ light of Epiphany is a visible and beneficial light for all people, whether they understand it or not. Jesus is going to give us two pictures of distinctiveness. One is salt and the other is light. Verse 13, he talks about the salt. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, its distinctive salty taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What's Jesus saying? Well, in the words of one pastor, salt is chemically different from the food that it preserves. That's the only way that it can preserve the food, or or give the food its taste. The chemical difference is beneficial for the food. It's not against the food. It's actually helping the food. The same is true for us. By following Jesus, we resource the culture around us with acts of mercy and beauty and truth. When a new member is uh, received at Emmanuel Anglican, uh, where they're baptized in some cases, or when they're simply received as members, um, the church gives them, one of the members of the altar guild stands here and gives them salt and light. It's a candle, a small candle in a setting of salt. And this is a symbol of the call that all of us receive when we become members to embrace and to not hide our God-given distinctiveness, but to live it out publicly and Sharing our faith, fighting sin, com- uh, commitment to the church, works of mercy, etc. There's so many ways to live this out. Um, I was reading this week about uh, the example of someone who lived this out in his day during the Industrial Revolution in England. Um, most of people in England during the Industrial Revolution lived in miserable conditions. Um, children had to work, wages were abysmal, pollution was rampant, and there was uh, people's health was ruined. In many cases, their lives were ruined for rich barons who were making a lot of money. There was a man uh, in New- uh, North England who had a vast textile industry and out of Christian duty decided to use much of his power and uh, resources to be a source for good, to be salt and light and be, to be different from all the other barons and to be different from all of the other people in power. So he used his resources to build houses, baths, hospitals, schools, gyms and churches for his employees and townspeople. He educated them out of his own pocket, he raised standards of hygiene, showed genuine concern for the thousands of people who worked for him, and in the process, he used his influence to fight the corruption and push back against the darkness of the so-called Gilded Age. Um, When this man died, there were over 100,000 people who came to his funeral, who lined the streets for, for his funeral. Um, and you know, you'll never guess what his name was. Sir Titus Salt. I'm not making that up. Um, he was salty. He was distinct, both in name and in lifestyle. Most of us don't have his level of public responsibility. Some of you might. Um, yet we all have public influence. And all of us have a distinctively beautiful way to be a good neighbor, to be a good medical patient, uh, to treat our coworkers, to treat our family members, to treat our roommates. Um, Jesus used the image of light as well. Light is as distinct as salt. And he says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So there's a brightness from the outside that comes through our life. Um, And we actually don't hold back from the visible part of it. People may not understand the light, but as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, flight to the invisible is a denial of the call. Flight to the invisible is a denial of the call. And we have to fight this temptation that we have in the church and in the Christian culture to uh, just wall ourselves off and to be completely understood by everyone around us. We will not be if we live publicly. Um, This may include public works, acts of love and compassion, acts of purity and holiness, sharing your faith or just being honest about the fact that you are a Christian Um, and uh, includes hospitality to people who... uh, may have never experienced it before. So we have to let people see it, notice it, and give glory to God for it. Uh, Verse 16, he said, Let people see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we're not building our online personal brand when we live publicly. There's a difference. We are doing this for people to see the Father's light and the Father's glory. He shines through Jesus and he shines through all who have been united to Jesus. Um, Dallas Willard once noted that Jesus didn't say, you have a light. Jesus said, you are a light. You are the light. You are the light. That there's no taking it away. That actually, the more that sin is removed and the more, the more uh, deeply we live our union with Jesus, the brighter that light gets, whether we know it or not. You, Emmanuel Anglican Church, are the light of the world. It just is what it is. Like the moon, our light derives from the sun, the sun of God, the sun of righteousness. The more time we spend soaking up his light, the brighter we shine. So I just want to end this morning with a blessing to be that light. I want to invite you now as we end to stand and receive An Epiphany Blessing. Blessed are you, Emmanuel, when you are in deep and intolerable pain. For the comfort of the Holy Spirit is a gift to you. Blessed are you, Emmanuel, when others curse and misunderstand you. For the blessing of Jesus over you has the final word. Blessed are you, Emmanuel, when you feel overlooked And unseen for the father has a special eye for you and he will fulfill your calling. Blessed are you Emmanuel when you are shaken for you have inherited a kingdom that is unshakable. Blessed are you Emmanuel when your vision is blurred and creativity blocked for the Holy spirit hovers over your work and hovers within your prayers And so may Christ, the Son of Righteousness, shine upon you and be manifest in you that your lives may be a light to the world. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you now and forever. Amen.